Well, I want to say hi uh, to everyone here in the room. Great to be with you and uh, those joining us online this morning. Great to have you with us as well. I've received texts from some of you saying you had to stay home, and we welcome that, that you are joining us uh, this morning as well. As Pastor Joe mentioned, we are in a series through this summer. It'll take us through mid-August uh, called Wise Versus Lies. Uh, looking at this great book of Proverbs and all that it has to teach us about how we live uh, in this world that we find ourselves in. And uh, this morning, uh, we're going to be looking at several different sections of Proverbs. And so if you are willing and able, I invite you to stand out of reverence for God's word. Uh, If you have a Bible, you can open to Proverbs and follow along, or you can follow along on the screens as I read. Our Proverbs that will be guiding us in our sermon today, first Proverbs 12, whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence, but a false witness utters deceit. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 15, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouth Mouths of fools pours out folly. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. And lastly, Proverbs 18, we've also heard it from Maggie. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, Today, uh, if you haven't noticed, we are going to be talking about the power of words, Uh, the words we speak and the words we receive. Um, You could even maybe call this sermon sticks and stones. And if you're like me uh, as a small boy, uh, you heard uh, a rhyme that that maybe, you know, some of these words sticks and stones may break my bones. But what? Words can never hurt me. Words can never hurt me. And anyone who's been alive longer than a day knows that that is an absolute lie. Uh, We're in COVID-19 season right now. And a part of COVID-19 has has been uh, a a renaming of COVID-19 to something called COVID-15. Uh, amidst our isolation, amidst uh, being sheltered and home, uh, we've, we've taken on what's called COVID-15. And COVID-15 is a response to what was called previously the freshman 15. And if you're here and you have no idea what the freshman 15 is, I'm happy to summarize it for you. Uh, a senior goes off to college uh, where in that freshman year they partake for maybe the first time an all-you-can-eat buffet for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And if you get hungry in the middle of the day, don't worry. There's an all-you-can-eat midday snack. And if you get, you know, the munchies at midnight or two in the morning, don't worry. The buffet is still open. There is a midnight snack waiting for you. And along with this high-calorie intake is the reality that outside of going to class, if you do that, you have uh, playing video games or watching TV and all this other sedentary life that brings about you in that first year of college gaining 15 pounds, hence the freshman 15. After my freshman year of college, I, I, I came back to my house to live in the home through the summer. 
Uh, my dad uh, was in sales, and part of being in sales, uh, he worked out of the home. Uh, he had an office at our, at our house, uh, and he would receive packages as, as part of his work. And we would have the UPS truck coming by every day uh, to drop off packages for my dad. And usually it ended up being the same guy. I never got his name, but I can remember his face so clearly. Um, brown hair and a, and a very large mustache is all I can give you this morning. But he would come drop off these packages. And, and, and this one instance, June of 2001, I'm standing there. I can't remember what I was doing in the yard, but I was doing something in the yard. And there comes that brown UPS truck burrowing down as fast as it possibly could, taking off on slightly two wheels as it made the turn, coming right in front of our house. And this UPS guy who we had come to know as my dad's kids begins to step down off of his truck and he notices me about 20 feet away. And he looks at me and rather than saying hi to me, he looks at me and he only utters these words, jeez, you've gained some weight. Now, I had known I'd picked up something over that first year, but it was only in that moment from his words that it become real to the core of who I was. I was ashamed. I was exposed. You see, all, all through growing up, I, I played various sports and I had various injuries, uh, but I can't remember any of those. All I can remember is a very hot, sunny June afternoon in 2001 where that man uttered those words to me. Words have a power. Have you ever had words spoken to you that you find continue to shape you in profound ways? Hurtful words, words that cut, as we read earlier in Proverbs 2, they're like sword thrusts coming into the heart. Do you find you're prone to anger or cutting down people in your life with your words? Do you, do you see that there is death and life in the power of the tongue? Now, these words that have spoken over us, that define us, those words are different for every one of us in this room. But there is a word, whether we can name it or not, that continues to shape us. It continues to define us. And here's what I know. God wants to break the hold on your life for whatever word you have allowed to define you. Well, there is a word that has plagued you. God wants to set you free. And so this morning, there are three questions that we must consider from our section of Proverbs. First, what do words do? Second, where do words live? And lastly, what are the words we need to receive? What do words do? Where do words live? And lastly, what words do we need to receive? First, what do words do? Words are super important, and you may not know this, but uh, words, the act of speaking, the act of naming is incredibly helpful for your brain. Uh, it, as you put words together, it, it's, it's an exercise for your brain, creating new circuits and new brain activity. 
Um, every time uh, you receive words from someone else, it, 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 it goes to this part in your brain uh, that causes new opportunities for learning how to problem solve. Words have this incredible power. And, and we see actually in the Bible, God saw this power uh, that it gives to humanity. Uh, God in the garden uh, created the animals and then he gave them to Adam to name. Uh, God created and then Adam named. I mean, you kind of imagine that scene, right? That uh, God creates this animal. He puts it before Adam and Adam's perplexed. What, what do I do? And he just goes, dog, dog. Yes, yes, dog. Adam puts, God puts another one. Elephant, elephant. Yes, yes, yes. Let's do this one. Cat. Cat. God rushes in. I don't know how this got here. This was not mine. This was not mine. This was not mine. This was not mine. I know I'm new here, but you'll learn very quickly. I'm not a, a fan of cats. But. but as valuable as words are in our lives, the wrong word spoken does incredible damage to others. Proverbs 15 that was read earlier, uh, it, it says the importance of the words that we speak. It says a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And this is exactly what we find in neuroscience. And so if I can just nerd out on you for about two minutes, just stay with me for two minutes. I promise it won't last any longer than that. Uh, but when you speak words to others, it provokes in someone's brain an overdrive of generating stress chemicals that will make them either fight back or suppress that anger. But it ultimately creates a vicious cycle in their brain where it continues to escalate. When a harsh word is spoken, the, what's called the amygdala or the limbic system of your brain, you don't need to remember that class, uh, but the amygdala, the limbic, is where fear and anxiety originates in your brain. It's one of the most primal elements of our brain. And now you're like, but who cares, Tyler? Who cares? Hang with me just one more minute, I promise. But when that harsh word is spoken, it sets off this area in your brain, this fear area in, this, in your brain. And as it provokes that area, it shuts down the rational area of your brain, what's called the prefrontal cortex. Harsh word is spoken. Harsh word is received. Anxiety is provoked. That area of your brain is signaled and triggered. The rational area of your brain shuts down. Why is this important? This is why uh, when something comes, you're in that moment, there's an argument that happens. You find yourself getting angry and you find yourself saying something in that moment. You are wondering, how did those words ever come out of my mouth? How, how did that happen? Now that I look back on, I can't believe that I said that. It, it, it's that time um, when an email was sent to you from a coworker and it is uh, triggering you, it is provoking you, and, and all those great wisdom to wait 24 hours before you respond, th this is the science behind that, friends. In that moment that we receive that email and we respond, we look back and say, why did I send that email? This is what is happening. Words do this to us. It, it is the time when you're laying in bed at night and your spouse is there and their back is to you and you are in what's called the proverbial doghouse. 
In that moment, you, you, you look and go, how did we get here? What, what was said by me? I mean, all I said in the moment was you kind of remind me of your mother. Anyone been there? I'm the only honest one this morning. Wonderful. This is the power of words. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Another way uh, you can imagine this, if I invited you up here and I said, hey, can you just stand 10 feet away from me? Uh, I want to throw something at you. And, uh, and I say, here's a pillow. I'm going to throw this to you. Uh, can you catch it? You won't think much about it because, uh, you know, if I drop it, you know, what's the big deal? It'll just fall on the ground. But if you stood 10 feet away and I said, hey, I'm going to throw this bowling ball to you. You'd maybe think twice about that moment. You will be way more intentional because you know if you drop that bowling ball, you may be going to the hospital. And a soft answer is like a pillow ready to be received. But a harsh word stirs up anger. It provokes, it hurts. It says in Proverbs 15:4 that was read, a, a gentle or healing tongue is a tree of life. But perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Now, I love this verse, and it is really spot on with uh, the Hebrew, the original language, uh, because what we see is from the same tongue, from the same tongue come two ways of living, two trajectories, either a life of blessing or a life of cursing. There's actually an echo here in this passage to the Garden of Eden. It says here, uh, it is a tree of life. If you remember back in the Garden of Eden, there's this tree of life pictured in Eden. Uh, when we speak gentle words, uh, you are speaking redemption into the life of someone else. You are speaking to them in a way that we were meant to be lived with God and others, just as seen in Eden. So when you encourage your spouse... Adore your kids, honor your coworkers. When you lift up a friend who is hurting, you are bringing healing into their lives and redemption will come. We are giving them a tree of life. But when we ridicule, when we cut down, when we criticize, we will break their spirit. Uh, you see, God has given all the people that are in your life as a stewardship and he wants to know how you are living with them, how you are encouraging them. How are you building them up? Because with the same tongue, you are leading them to the garden or to the garbage. And so this morning, just in your head, just a quick examination of your life. You don't have to write anything down. As you assess the people God has put in your life, have you helped build them up or tear them down more in the last five years? And what's amazing, when I examine my own life, it is the strangers in my life who are being blessed to the garden, but those closest in my life are getting the garbage. What about you? Now, what happens uh, at this point, many of you are thinking in your head, well, Tyler, you don't know what they have said to me. You don't know what it's like to live with a spouse that gets on my last nerves. You don't know how my coworkers stab me in the back. You don't know what it's like to have kids who constantly disappoint you. But God says, you cannot control them. You can only control you. 
How are you sowing seeds of encouragement into the people that are in your life? Are you building them up? Are you taking them and leading them to the garden? This is what words do. They have a power. They, they lead us somewhere. And what I've found in my own life is that the words that I speak are intimately connected to the words that are living inside of me. And so this brings us to the second question we must consider. What, where do words live? Where do words live? When we speak words of defeat or words of self-doubt over ourselves, we will notice that there is a pressure that we feel. And that pressure comes out in the words that we give to others. You see, we desperately need to understand where words live. And they live in us. They live at the core of our personhood. At the core of our reality. Uh, I love this story uh, about a man named Mephibosheth. Uh, Mephibosheth in 2 Samuel, King David asked his servants a question in chapter 9. It says this, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Now to be lame in ancient times uh, was a horrible and very difficult predicament. Not only did you receive odd looks from the passerby in the city, uh, but you were not allowed when you were lame to attend corporate worship. Uh, you were ostracized, you were isolated, you were oppressed. And, and the situation here with Mephibosheth is uh, he is a royal heir. I mean, he has all the potential to live into this wonderful and beautiful life that is available to him from his lineage. But we find that he is lame in both feet. All the potential, but he comes up short. I have uh, permission to share this story in case you're wondering. But uh, if you don't know this, um, Pastor Mark Nix, part of our staff, uh, before he became a pastor here, was the lead singer of the very talented band Cool Hand Luke. You may not have known this, but you can ask for his autograph later if you'd like. Uh, but a part of Mark's family is they just had this new baby boy, Jude, born to their family. What would happen if Jude grew up, but he could not sing like his dad? All the genes, all the lineage, all the things going for him to allow him and for him to be vocally stricken like me. Please pray for Jude. But this is the same situation of Mephibosheth, all, all this heritage, all this that could be going for him. And, and he ends up with this life where he is ostracized. This is what he feels. Uh, uh, David sends for Mephibosheth in Jerusalem. Uh, but what we find out is that Mephibosheth now lives in Lodabar. Lodabar uh, means no pasture. Uh, it, it was a wasteland. It was a poverty shanty. Uh, the, the air... The heir now lives in Lodabar. And this is what words do. They, they live inside of us. They, they shape us. And you can even listen to how Mephibosheth describes his identity, how he has claimed this identity for his life and the depression that he experiences in verse six. It says this. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. 
David said, Mephibosheth, at your service here, pride. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? To be invited to eat at someone's table in ancient cultures was the ultimate sign of acceptance and approval. But Mephibosheth can respond only to this word by defining himself with, why should you notice a dead dog like me? Now, I know how much some of you love your dogs. I've actually seen some of them and they are beautiful animals. But I want you to know in ancient cultures, dogs were horribly, horribly unclean. And Mephibosheth here has compared himself to a dog. Do you speak this kind of language over your life? You aren't living up to your standards. You're falling short of the expectations you've set for yourself. COVID-19 seems to be getting the best of you. Does the gap between the aspired you and the real you seem like this giant chasm? What I want you to know, friends, is do not be discouraged if you are prone to self-doubt or self-criticism. In fact, in his book, Hardwiring Happiness, uh, neuropsychologist Dr. Rick Hansen says that uh, your brain uh, is actually uh, drawn to negative thoughts like Velcro and repelled to positive thoughts like Teflon. Uh, They've done studies where they've actually shown uh, that you have to sit with a positive thought or a positive word for at least 15 seconds before your brain actually receives it. And if you're wondering how this plays out in your life, if you've ever been at work or you've ever been on Facebook, you get 99 positive emails, 99 positive words of encouragement, but you get that one email At night, as you lay on your bed, tossing back and forth, what are you thinking about? You're thinking about that one email. Or it's the one word that was spoken 15, 20, 25 years ago that continues to speak over your life. Why should you notice a dead dog like me? These words live deep inside of us. They define us. They they shape us. They become the foundation to the house that is our life. And so the question is, how can we break up the old foundation and establish a new one? Well, that brings us to our last question we must consider. What are the words we need to receive? Mephibosheth, like us, needed a new foundation for his life, a new identity, a new name. And that is what he receives from King David in verse nine. And it says this. Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given Mephibosheth everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always, will always, will always eat at my table. You see, Christianity is completely different from every other worldview and every other religion. 
You see, every other worldview uh, says you must earn your seat at this table. Whether it's religion that says you, you've got to have done enough good works, you have to have been good enough to earn your seat at the table. In our secular world today is meritocracy. Have you achieved enough? Have you earned enough? Are you beautiful enough? It is always about something you must do, something you must accomplish. But the only problem is enough is never enough. Every other worldview, every other religion says it is about what you achieve. Christianity and the gospel is about what will you receive? What will you receive? It is a word, it is a declaration, it is a pronouncement from the king that you are his for all eternity. That you are welcome to the table, not by what you achieve, but by what you receive. In fact, it, it, it says he doesn't just speak this word that you are invited to the table, but God actually sings this word over you. Uh, prophet Zephaniah in Zephaniah 3 uh, says this to the people of Israel. He says, uh, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his blood. He will exult over you with loud singing, loud singing. Friends, God is singing over you. And he's not just singing, but he's apparently belting it out as loud as he possibly can so that you would never forget the overwhelming love of the Father for you. Do you hear him? No matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter what word you've lived by, the lame have received a new name. And we actually see that two verses later in Zephaniah, it says this. I will save the lame and gather the outcasts. I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. Friends, it is not your portfolio or your pedigree, your resume or your references. No matter what has happened and no matter what word you have allowed to define you, God can turn your shame into praise. But there is one thing you must do. And it's right here in this verse. You must ask him to save you. You, you must ask him to set you free. It says right here, he will save the lame. He will change their ch shame into praise. You must ask him to save you. You must acknowledge that you've lived by another word, another word that has defined you. But when you ask him to save you, he will. And not only will he save you, but he will sing over you as loud as he possibly can so that anyone and everyone who is willing to hear. You see, when we try to achieve our name, enough is never enough. Whatever we fixed our hopes on, whatever we've attached our soul to, wherever dreams lie out ahead of us, whatever has promised to get us to the table never will. But when we receive our name, God sings it over us, declaring us that we are his for all eternity and that nothing can separate us from him. And so this morning, how can you know these promises are yours? How can you know that you are his child and nothing will take that away? Well, we don't just have a king who says we have a seat at the table like David, but we have a king who purchased our seat with his own blood, a better king. 
You see, Jesus took whatever word we have allowed to speak over our lives and he has nailed it with himself to the cross. He took our sin. He took our old identities. He took our addictions, our regrets, our past, whatever that word is. He took that onto himself on the cross. He essentially bore our lameness. We see this actually in the book of Hebrews, the closing of this great book. The author tells us Jesus suffered outside the city gate to sanctify us through his blood. To sanctify just simply means to cleanse us. You see, in the first century, for someone to be led outside of the city gate meant that they were considered unclean. We are considered clean because he was led outside the city. Jesus bore our lameness. He became our substitute. He went to Lodabar for you and for me so we would know no matter what word we've allowed to speak over our lives, you and I right now are welcomed to the table. Welcome to enter into his presence, fully accepted through his son. Have you received your true inheritance? Have you received the only identity that can weather the storms that we face? God has given you a new name, but he is not just giving you a new name. He is singing it over you as loud as he possibly can. Can you hear him? What word have you spoken over your life that needs to be released? Lame, dog, boring, broken, addicted, Divorced, ugly, poor, unqualified, or failure. May you hear God's word from the table this morning as he speaks, or I would say as he sings over you. Accepted, loved, adored, beautiful, child child. God says, my word of the table over you is always received and it is never achieved. And this is what Christianity offers you that no other way of viewing this world does. Friends, if you have received God's word for you in Jesus, you have nothing to fear. You have nothing to run from and only one thing to run to. The arms of the one who has held out his hands as wide as he possibly can to you to say, will you just come home and receive all that I long to give you? Come home to the life that you have been searching for that has always been yours and in Jesus for you has always been free. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, remind us of the beauty of the gospel. Our inheritance accomplished by Jesus's life, death, and resurrection for us. Encourage us again this morning that we are your child. And Father, tear down any word that we have allowed to speak over us, that we've allowed to define us that we've allowed to label us. 
and allow us to receive our inheritance once again this morning. And for those who are asking you to save them, may they know your grace and love in profound ways in the days ahead. We pray this all in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen.